Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a whole lot of technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today on the show, I'm very excited to be talking to Jason Belk, Cisco NSO developer evangelist. Jason and I will be talking uh, about his personal journey into network automation, network engineering, NSO APIs, NSO sandboxes, and learning labs, and a lot of exciting stuff from the NSO len- uh, landscape. So let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here. Yeah, you know, we've been uh, kind of converse as you're very active on Twitter and you're the, you know, the ev- developer evangelist, right? Yeah. So you're always on social media, but it's finally too nice to, you know, meet you over over the screen and also, uh, you know, talking to you over podcast. Thanks. Yeah, I- I've been in this current role for about two years. And yeah. even before that, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. And it's been a big part of my network automation journey and career development as a person discovering what it means to do network automation. And, and I'm really excited to talk about all the different things we have planned. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, um, you know, before we dive into Cisco, NSO, and network automation, yeah, sure. I'm always interested in how you got started, how you got started with network engineering, what's your background in network automation. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in technology overall? Sure. Yeah, I'd say for networking specifically, I... In my undergraduate at computer science, but it's funny because in my interview for my internship at Cisco, uh, they asked me, would you consider yourself a strong coder? And that's a pretty (laughs) (laughs) honest question to have when you're a teenager, you know, young 20s, trying to get your first job in, in big tech. Yeah, and the, the, but the interview was very perceptive and, and, and very open. And she said, "No, this has nothing to do with whether you're getting a job or not. We're just trying to figure out like what area of Cisco we want to place you in." And, and I told right. her honestly, like, even though I'm computer science, like I'm not good at coding. Like, that's not my bread and butter. It's hard for me. Yeah. I have to work at it. And like, like I said, that that's one of the things that's kind of defined my career in a good way. Like, like most people would see that weakness as a weakness, and I see it as a strength because I, I use that to kind of propel me into other directions. So instead of like focusing on the things they were teaching me in, in classes, which were good foundational c- concepts, the networking class I took really, I think sparked my interest and in saying, wow, I, I don't need to worry about C plus plus arrays and pointers and, you know, memory allocation. I mean, I mean, there's definitely details to worry about networking, but I feel like that just made a lot of sense to me when I took the networking class. I'm like, this is for at least my mind, I love optimizing things. I like trying to, yeah. If I'm driving somewhere in the city, I, I don't usually take the scenic route, you know. So I'm, I'm doing OSBF in my mind even when I'm driving. <laughs> You're like, man, that sounds like a DR to me. And, you know, let's establish adjacency and a relationship with that neighborhood. <laughs> and, and so when I discovered networking, I'm like, this is an entire industry of people who like, you know, technology, like learning how to make technology impact your life in a positive way. Right. Right. But are doing it in a way that uses existing constructs, existing protocols, existing vendor hardware or open source hardware and software yeah. to accomplish those goals. And like th- th- that's what really sparked my interest. Um, I, I, I ended up when I joined Cisco because I'd answered that question that way. It, they rightfully placed me in kind of like a hybrid marketing technical group, which mm-hmm. talked about how Cisco used its own products internally. And I learned a lot in that role, but yeah. it opened the door for me to transfer internally. I got my CCNA 
after being there for a couple of years and I had made some friends, the networking team got a feel for kind of what their day to day looked like. I thought it was so yeah. cool that they're in the terminal, you know, like you think about these hackers and stuff when you're, when you're a kid, you're like, Oh man, you're in the yeah. terminal. You, you, you must really know what you're doing. <laughs> um, and so that was like my, my mind, you know, as a, as a young career, it was like, that, that'd be so cool if one day I could know how to use a terminal and like, yeah, accomplish things. Oh, and man, so I, that, the, you're in the right place, right? That's all you do. You're, that's, yeah. so you're, that's, you're living the CLI in the terminal. Yeah. Little did I know how, how fateful that desire would be. Uh, right. and, and, and so moving into that networking role, it, it, it was a great opportunity for me to learn from Cisco because we were in Cisco IT. So right. we, we, were, we were managing Cisco's internal campus and branch networks. Mm-hmm. So they have 600 offices all the way from San Jose to across the globe and in remote locations for sales offices. Um, right. Of course, you have tax sites, you have partner sites, you have manufacturing sites. That There are a lot of different environments that you have to work with. And you also have 25, 30 years worth of invested I guess, design work and iterative, you know, I'd say almost archaeology in terms of the technology that is going on within um, that network in in a good way. Um, But also it's a challenge. And it would totally be funny. (laughs) I mean, because when you say Cisco IT, right, or Cisco networking, it would be like so funny. It's like something goes down, like when link goes down and it's like, how many network engineers does it take <laughs> to, to get that thing back on? It's like, does anybody know about MPLS in this office? <laughs> yeah, no, we, I, we, we had a wide spectrum of people and experience, and but it is funny that like you're the networking company working on networking hardware. And I, I think that also provided a lot of valuable experience to our customers so that like when right. we had challenges, when we had struggles, we were able to like relate to our customers and then help provide that feedback to the business units or, or, or the, the different you know, units that need to know what need to be fixed. Right. Uh, it, it, it definitely made what we were working with homogenized and that we were all working with Cisco hardware, but even within Cisco, you have differences between, you know, cap 4510, 3850, 3750, you know, ASR1K. There's a lot of different variables you still have to work with even just within Cisco hardware. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, was that your first job? Like, because I know you've been Cisco for a long. You you yeah. were at Cisco for a long time. Then you left for a little bit and then came back to it. So, was that you know starting from internship and just all the way up to different orgs and different positions? I I, I did some game testing in electronic arts in college. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and but yeah, in terms of my first job out of college, that 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 was it. So I was an intern. I was converted to full time hire, and and I was at Cisco. I think for seven eight years, and, and then. Um, in, in that process, doing network engineering, implementations, operations, and then uh, automation, and then learning automation myself, and then helping teach others to kind of lead an automation initiative within the organization, and then eventually leaving, going network to code, and then coming back to Cisco. So, how, when was this? When would, when did you start that kind of network automation journey? Because I mean, Cisco wasn't always so bullish on network automation, right? As you know. Yeah. When I started, like 1PK was just being kind of known to not be something that was being invested in as a Cisco (laughs) STK, we'll just say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So those of you who have heard the phrase 1PK, I know Jason Edelman uh, can definitely remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that was the that second was so- time I heard about it this week, and <laughs> it, precisely from the same person you mentioned. So and um, I, was like, I totally forgot about one PK. Like for for years and years, I haven't heard about team. I haven't heard about that term, yeah. and now it's like a second time. It's like, oh yeah, yeah you know, 
One PK was the bomb. They were like, you know, it's being pushed around for yeah. like this is your ultimate automation tool. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no worries. So, so yeah, this is the 2015, 2016 timeframe. So, so I, I started out learning Kirk Byers' NetMiko course, and he, yes. he's a really great content and just an all around great guy. And yep. that helped me because, like I said, even though I I had taken these computer science courses, like it wasn't something that I could just pick up and run with. So his courses really helped refresh my memory and get, yeah. get me redisciplined into thinking about, okay, let's think about our tasks and programmatically and, and think about the tools we have to use syntax. And even right. just, I think setting up a development environment is a learning curve that a lot of people who have been doing it for a while take for granted. Yeah. Like that, that's something that I, I know took me a good amount of time, not just to say, Hey, yeah, you install Python, but okay. How does my environment connect to, my company's internal, you know, jump posts to our internal labs that are, you know, isolated to, um, so all, all, all these different little things that seem trivial, but actually add up to be a decent amount of work. And, and, and that was one of the things I did to help our teams that I took all these different settings and tools and basically created like a virtual image snapshot mm. and, then, and then shared that with my coworkers. Cause I originally I had made like a long like, wiki to say, Hey, this is how you set up your stuff. But eventually, right. People just didn't read it all. I'm like, it's just easier <laughs> if we just like codify this, and then you can you can be up and running. I found that to be pretty useful for myself and others. Right. So as opposed to like app get install, you know, twenty different tools, you just yeah. say vagrant up and bam, yeah, there exactly. it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I had, I had a vagrant file, and then eventually, as I got more used to Ansible, using Ansible to provision, you know, some of the different pieces. But uh, I think that that's what really helps within an organization. People adopt you know some of those initial barriers to entry being removed yeah uh, I, I think there are a lot of people you know they've already got their secure crt set up they've got you right. know maybe a few bash scripts or Perl scripts that they can access on a jump host but i think for people who are just getting started network automation uh, like obviously the devnet sandboxes and, and, and other resources out there are great but i think they still require an assumption that you're using their environment and i, I know that for a lot of network engineers like okay this somewhat relates to what I'm working with, but I really want to work with my, my own lab. And I, exactly. I really want to be able to then also eventually work, touch production, not changing right. production. But <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. No. So I, I hear what you're saying. And um, I, uh, you mentioned Kirk's class and I, I do, I do want to give him, you know, props for that as well. I think Kirk's was the first person who, actually put Python in a network engineering context, right? So it really helped. Like you said, people don't want to uh, just learn plain Python. They want to be able to leverage Python to do something that helped them. And uh, so I took Kirk's class as well. And, you know, it was, you know, kind of eye-opening where instead of just looking at plain Python, you're, you know, print hello world, yeah. I'm actually be able to change the device configuration, help myself, help my team. And uh, it seemed it, it sounded like you took that one step further and say, you know, let let's create a whole environment up and um, yeah. and I, let's it make it easy to onboard. Yeah, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, so I, yeah. that, that's an iteration over time. Uh, but yeah. it, it definitely pretty early on. You know, other people were interested. Management was interested in having other people adopt it. So it, it definitely helped. I, yeah. I'd say book. I have it. The back there, mastering Python networking is, was also an early and great resource. Oh, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> camera. So, yeah, if you haven't man. read it, you can read the first edition of Master of <laughs> Python Networking from 2017. 
Nice, oh, uh, right. thank you for uh, for that for that uh, little marketing piece. Speaking <laughs> of an adventure, you know, developer evangelist, right? That's that's your yeah. pitch, man. Way to work that in, so smooth. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Esprit Devora. I created Women in Tech so listeners could walk away feeling if she can do it, so can I. I do not have an inclination if I will succeed at this, but I have nothing that will hold me back. It's not anything new that women are here. It's new that we're hearing our stories. I'm afraid of doing, but I'm too curious not to do it. You have a lot more power than you probably think you do. You got this. Subscribe to Women in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me... One of my passions is reducing the friction, toil, and barrier to entry for, for getting started and progressing in, in learning journeys. And, and so I, right. a lot of that is just connecting the right people to the right resources for what they're trying to do. And, and you know, like I wouldn't suggest someone to look at CCIE books getting started. You know, you start with CCNA and just like that for network automation. There's a lot of good resources to get started with. But there's also ones that you should probably wait later on, uh, like I really appreciate the conversation I had with John on Django and Flask. And I, I know that's a huge topic for a lot of developers. And I would say for people getting yeah. started, like right. that's good to keep in the back of your mind, but just, you know, worry about the hello world stuff and, and, and moving on from there. Yeah. So. It's not a knock on Django or some of the other tool sets, right? Like it is really just, you know, uh, going from day one to day 10, yeah. right? Like yeah. somebody else is at day 99, but yeah. you know, it's great to have aspirations to be there. But at the same time, we want to have a roadmap. And I, I, I like what you're saying about just finding the right tool and connecting the right people to it. Yeah. That's how I feel um, essentially what I do for, you know, whatever writing blogs or uh, interviewing you, for example, yeah. is just really to expose these great, great tools, great people, great content. Yeah. And people could, it's like a buffet, right? Like some people yeah. like, you know, sushi, some people like pasta. So take whatever you need. But the point is to get move forward and move, uh, moving the right trajectory. For yeah, sure. So you mentioned you're a developer evangelist and yeah. just from like, let me pull up the webpage. Cause this is uh, pretty awesome. Like, yeah. you know, you're the face of uh, NSO dev center. You're everywhere in network field day. And um, you know, a lot of presentation, you're uh, very active on Twitter. So what is a, what does a developer evangelist do? Um, what are the day to day like for you? Yeah, so I'd say like this webpage is an example of two years worth of work, basically my entire time. I, I'm not working exclusively on this webpage. That was about six months working with one of the DevNet uh, user design teams. Uh, but I'd say the content that fills out those pages. So we have, you know, Postman collection I created. We have uh, DevNet Sandbox that I'd worked with the Sandbox team to, to set up the requirements for. Uh, we have podcasts, interviews. I mean, I definitely, I say that the public facing stuff is what people probably think of. You know, we, you have the DevNet Snack Minute, you have right. other YouTube videos and conference talks that people usually think of for developer evangelists. But I'd say yeah. the behind the scenes stuff is really what the day to day mostly looks like, at least for me. Mm -hmm. And just thinking proactively as an educator, what are the things about my product or Cisco's products in general that would help yeah. reduce that friction to them getting the value out of it and, and, and making their job easier. Uh, so okay. at, at least, at least for me, that that's, I've, I created probably a half dozen, what I call learn by doing examples uh, that I put on the code exchange. So stuff like that, where I, I set 
goals for myself based on what I see the, the actual perceived gaps in our uh, public documentation, public examples, and and then just chipping away at it <laughs> over time. And, and, then, and then, you know, also leveraging the resources of other people within the organization, because there are a lot of great engineers within the NSO organization and DevNet more broadly, and realizing mm-hmm. that I don't personally need to create every single piece of content that is associated with NSO. There, there are a lot of neat examples or proof of concepts that we can leverage and then, you know, showcase and share with other people as well. Got it. Got it. So no, I, I like say, to... I'll just say one last thing. It's kind of a mixture of both internal and external advocacy. So like externally, right. we're, we're helping customers, but I'd say internal, we're also, as Cisco is, is a very large company, we, we have salespeople who need to be educated about what our product does and how to position it and what's good for it and, and what are challenges. You have, you know, services at CX who are, who are also implementing our products. You, you have other product teams who are, who are trying to, you know, maybe integrate with our product or have features. So there's a lot of also, I'd say, internal advocacy where you're being the technical translator between the understanding of your product and then the, the broader organizations outside of the other teams. Yeah, that's very interesting because like you said, um, usually when people think about evangelizing or um, just customer advocacy, it's always about the external stuff, the YouTube videos, the, the <laughs> training videos that you do. But at the same time, it's uh, you're serving both internal and external customer and they actually have very different requirements at times. Mm-hmm. So um, it must be pretty challenging. You know, I mean, you have the same website probably, but it has to service both internal and external customers. Yeah, and I think the big part is saying that people who are doing their day job focus on what they're doing don't necessarily yeah. have the needs of all the different stakeholders that need to be addressed. Yeah. So if, if you have a PM who's focusing on a certain feature set, maybe for the product, they're not aware of the new user who is getting stuck getting started because they can't figure out how to navigate the Linux terminal and install the right packages or something. Like, yeah. So like, even if people think things are okay, it's also important for you to be proactively thinking of the needs of others and mm-hmm. having those needs be voiced back to the people who, you know, are just focused on their own kind of sphere of domain. And then, so that might help enlighten them and, and also help, you know, push the rest of, of what the product's, supposed to be doing forward yeah i mean that's very important i mean being a i worked as an se before and i think the most successful se's i'm not saying i was but the most successful se's is kind of have that um uh kind of read the room and kind of uh, you know kind of guess customer's mind and one step ahead of them so i think it's great that you're helping the se team or the CX team at Cisco to do that. It's kind of one step ahead because you've seen, you've talked to more customer, you yeah. know what their challenges are. And you mentioned a couple of times the friction that you you yeah. are very mindful about the yeah. frictions of the onboarding, the first five minutes of that experience. Yeah. Um, so so that's great. I'm super glad you're doing this because somebody has to. I'm glad yeah. you. <laughs> and a lot of it comes from my my own personal experience. When, when I tried to learn NSO, when, when I was, so I'd learn Python with, with Kirk Byers. Yep. And then one of the one of the other guys on my team was playing around with this with this NSO thing, you know? and and yeah. he, he was so excited about it. And I was like, "What are you talking about? I've never heard of this." And and this is like in 2016, 2017, I think. Right. And uh, he's like, "Oh, we have, we, yeah, it was from this acquisition a few years ago from Sweden, and you know, it's it's really cool because these particular engineers were probably I'd say more on the software side uh, yeah. of 
within our networking team. So, so they didn't have CCNAs, but they, they were focused on more of the automation tasks. Right. And, and that's why they were really excited about NSO. Cause I, I think one of, one of the things that excites people who have a strong software background about the product is that it does create a, a proper and good abstraction for your network devices. And so you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about syntactical variations. Right. Even, even on Cisco iOS between, you know, iOS releases, you can have different issues come up yeah. <laughs> for the same command. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and all, all that to say is like, they, they exposed me to it. They didn't, there wasn't very much training material out there publicly, even, or even internally at the time, a lot of, uh, the way NSO grew was with a high touch engagement model where you had an overlay sales team who was basically, basically mentor the potential customers or salespeople and walk them through how to use it. Yeah. And, and so like myself, I, I, I learned from these other people next to me who, who had figured it out themselves. And I was just like, so fascinated with how it worked. Cause I'd been working with NetMika for a little bit. I'd been working with Ansible uh, starting at that time as well. But at that time, Ansible doesn't have all the bells and whistles it has now. Like you still had to provide right. like your separate credentials because the, the networking modules didn't work quite the same as all the <laughs> modules. Um, yeah. Uh, so so for, for me, like I, I, I learned from these folks and, and like I got so excited about the p- potential myself and, and, and what we could do for the team. We, we actually created like an NSO kind of learning module. Like we created our own training for our own team after we'd had some successful projects with it, with that small team, we wanted to expand it out to other teams. And, and that's what kind of got me into like the educator space that the helping teach other people about network automation stuff. Cause I, I, I saw the value myself and also in my, my coworkers and, and, and how they were just so excited about unlocking that value. And, yeah. and I actually kind of took that, uh, that content as, as my resume to network to code. When, when I interviewed there, I was like, Hey, I've already created basically this course. And, and I actually became, and when I was at network to code after that, an instructor teaching Ansible and, and, and Python and stuff like that to network engineers. Yeah. So for people who are not super familiar with NSO, which, you know, stands for network service orchestration, yeah. can you just tell us a little bit of what it is? Because it's a tall order, right? Like if I go on the website, yeah. it says NSO supports the process of validating implementation and abstracting your network configs and network services. So how, like just the overview of what sure. NSO is and what does it do? Yeah. So, so NSO network services orchestrator at, at its heart and soul, it's a configuration management development platform. So we're, we're not, even though it can touch operational data of, you know, sh- show interfaces or show IP route, that's not as much what it works with. It's primarily with configuring your network devices, you know, mm-hmm. going from where you are today, to where you want to bring and maintain that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the heart and soul, the heart and soul of it is with the configuration database, the CDB. Okay. So it has an XML based in memory database that basically means you can interact with it quickly and all the data is structured in a way that could be easily converted to JSON or YAML if you, if you want to do those things. Mm-hmm. And that database includes both the application configuration of, okay, how do we, what settings do we have for NSO itself? Um, as well as all of the network configuration for all your networking devices. Mm-hmm. So you have a local snapshot of every single device in your network, even ones that don't support APIs. So if, if you have an old CAT 3750, that's never going to get upgraded, never going to get NetConf, RESTConf, and stuff like that. <laughs> it has, uh, NSO has what we call network element drivers. So NEDs, yeah. short, that, that are basically on, on, on point here on the bottom, say we have like, the CDB here, and you have NEDs, yep. and you have network devices and these are the, the software translation between 
it reads in the running configuration for all those devices, parses it for you um, using Yang data models, and, and then stores that parse configuration into the local database. Hmm. And then once you have that snapshot, so you say sync from it, it logs into all the devices that you've, you told it to, pulls it, pulls in and parses the network configuration. And then it looks the same. So you see all the running configuration in standard native format, but you can also then suddenly now do pipe display XML, pipe display JSON for your Nexus, for your iOS, for your other vendor devices, where, where previously you'd have to log in each device and then possibly use Genie or, you know, other things to kind of parse that here and there, but they have the product's been around for 10 years. So they've parsed tons and tons. I'd say it's basically built to demand, but over the years they built a pretty comprehensive already parsed data model of all the networking devices. So they support, I think over 200 different platforms. So if it's something that's in production of a company of reasonable size, and it has a way to talk to it and a way to model that data. So once you have that parse snapshot, you can then make changes locally and it will calculate what commands will need to be sent to have that sent to the device. So kind of a declarative state where you say, I want the state to have these interfaces and, and these particular IP addresses. And if they're already there, it's not going to push anything. Um, but if, if they're not there, then it push the minimal number of commands. It translates from that parsed local database into the right number of commands you need to send. So you mentioned Ansible, and Ansible kind of grew from a more procedural mindset in the, their playbook mm -hmm. into more declarative. Yeah. Um, and how is that different or the same with NSO? Because it sounded like they're more declarative, uh, the NSO is. Yeah. I, uh, so I'd say the, the, the Ansible iOS config modules are definitely procedural. Uh, where, mm -hmm. where I, I want to send these set of lines config, and then boom, it's, it sends them one by one. Yeah, it, I, I, They have the item potent, uh, check the running config to see if those lines are missing, but sometimes right. lines uh, have interdependencies on each other that are more complicated than just whether they're they're present or not. Right. Uh, and, and so since, since NSO has that data model validation, like, oh, we want, we created, we have an access list under this interface, you know, where, where is it referenced on the actual access list? And, and then it would throw that error even before you do a, a commit try run. Um, so, so I'd say that, that that's one of the main differences in my mind is NSO is, is, is able to have that stateful knowledge of what's actually on the network and then have a model understand model driven understanding of how the configuration relates to each other on its dependencies. And so when you're actually pushing configuration, they, they both, for simple examples, might look the same. Like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to push an interface. I'm going to push an interface. You know, it looks the same, but I'd say for more complex examples and then um, for examples that have a lot of dependencies on each other, there's right. a significant difference. And also NSO, because it, it's generating the commands on the fly based on data model representation, it, can all, it also can generate the rollback commands for you automatically, where for Ansible, you'd have to build your own backup plan or, yeah. or do like a configure, or just do a configure replace the previous version of that running config. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, that, so let's see. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, yeah. So, it sounded like NSO has a better um, overall understanding of your of your network. So mm -hmm. for things you could, you know, if you're just doing on one single device, yeah, it's probably the same. Yeah. But if you're touching multiple devices, like you're provisioning like an MPLS circuit or whatnot, which is everything yeah. has to happen at the same time yeah. in the right order, otherwise, you know, nothing's yeah. going to work. Then, uh, then something that has a higher level of abstraction sounded like it's a better way to go. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and also has the concept the S for NSO services. It has like a whole set of functionality around what we call NSO services, okay. where, where you can, you can create custom packages and extend the application. So you can say, I want to create my iOS interface package or just my interface package for all my device types. Okay. So it, it it extends the data model of the application itself. And so any any time you add a new package, it, it adds new functionality across all the APIs. So the REST API, the GUI, the CLI, the Python API, all that now becomes available for the package you just added. And within that package, it has the data model, which defines how that API is extended. So you can say, which which basically defines the inputs of your service. So you can say, I I, I want to give a name to my uh, my service instances. So we're we're deploying this to we'll say our campus in San Jose, and then you know that 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 way in the future, if I want to remove that service instance, it remove all the configuration just associated with the config on that one service. Um, so the service includes the input val the input parameters that you can customize the configuration templates, and then any additional Python or Java code you want to have executed before and after the changes. Hmm. So if I were to overlay, so the package sounds like it's a uh, a streamlined process from yeah. northbound to your southbound, and yeah. you know you kind of uh, work way through that. But NSO in general, um, if you were to go from just the very top, so you know, the northbound, so, yeah. so to speak. So you already mentioned, you know, there's some kind of abstraction, there's a data model, and yeah. you have a database in the middle, uh, yeah. a memory database, you have the uh, the network drivers that you you talk to, yeah. and then, um, you know, act, then the driver will be responsible for, you know, parsing data, talking yeah. API or screen scraping. Yeah. Um, am I missing any piece? Because it seems like, it seems like it's there, but I, I wonder if yeah. there's more, more pieces in there. No, no, I, I, I think that that covers all the major features in my mind is, is you, you have the, the programmatic way to expose the functionality of the northbound like you're talking about it. You, you have mm-hmm. the data itself in, in the CDB mm-hmm. and, then, and, and then you have within that data of, of the CDB, you're either interacting with it through uh, device by device layout level. So they call that the device manager sure. or device groups um, sure. or or in a service by service main level. So this is my L3 VPN services in my service. Instance. So, so the, the, and those services are kind of the blueprints and then you create service instances that have, you know, particular variable inputs. And then all, all of that is then talked talk to in the network devices through those network element drivers, just like you were saying. Mm, got it. So it seems like that's what the, uh, the fundamental differences of NSO between other, uh, say orchestration or automation tools like your DNA center, SD-WAN, Meraki, ACI. So these are actually kind of domain specific. And I would say, I don't know, just for my basic understanding of them, it seems like they take a device by device approach. So you're actually, the human being is actually responsible for making sure all the, all the, like the system level is working, but on the device level, they could take care of all the, all the, you know, boring task of actually pushing the commands down. I would say one of the major differences is that NSO, as it comes out of the box, does not have any built-in use cases. Okay. So, so when you install it, it hasn't no NEDs originally. I mean, you, you install the NEDs. I mean, that's not a huge process. We have, we have an installation process; it's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then it has an empty CDB. So, like, the, the, I'd say in a comparison to like DNA Center. Where DNA yeah. center out of the box, you spin it up, 
and you have PNP, you have uh, you know a template designer, you, you, you have Fabric, you have all these different series of uh, features that are, I think, correlated to specific use cases. Yeah, where, where NSO does not have an opinion on what types of devices are in your network, what what how, what use cases you want to do, and that, that makes it kind of difficult when we're talking to salespeople or, or people who are just figuring out, like, okay, does this do ACLs? Like, yes. Okay, does it do? And you just go down the list of all the different configurations. <laughs> right. yes, it does. I mean, as, as long as it's configuration that we can configure on a device and we can def- yeah. extract that into a service, which is pretty much every almost every configuration. Uh, NSO can accomplish those goals. I'm not saying it's the right tool for every job, but at least from a capability standpoint, uh, it, it's it's very flexible. And that's why when I talked about it originally, I said it's a development platform. So it's a, it's a platform product and more so than uh, like we're giving you the Swiss Army knife of these six different use cases. Um, and and it, right. I think it appeals to a different type of uh, organization. So some organization to have predefined uh, use cases built for them. So, so that way they can plug it in and then just focus on, you know, integrating with everything else and having, assuming that architectural, you know, design. But then there are other organizations that I think want to have more of a say in, in, in what their their architecture looks like, or, or, or they want, they have a lot of different customization options uh, and, and, or people who just like building it themselves. So I'd say NSO definitely, should appeal to people who love building things themselves, but also don't want to reinvent the wheel. So, so we, we give you all the tools you need to build whatever you want and save all the time on all the boring stuff of, I'd say the parts of network automation that most people don't enjoy in terms of indentation issues, parsing config, you know, all, all this stuff, setting up SSH connections, timeouts, all, all, all this, even things that dealing with a nice abstraction like nor near or ansible or, or napalm you still run into um so so i, I said that that's one of the huge value adds is it, it's a build it yourself platform that can really enable a lot of neat organizational changes and also expose those services to outside stakeholders because like i said when you build these packages it yeah. creates an extension to all the apis including the rest api so you can say okay now that we have this uh, l3 vpn service we can now expose that to our service now application and then it, it could you know initiate calls back and forth. Um, and, and oftentimes NSO is paired with some type of, uh, I'd say service catalog application, workflow application. Ansible is also often, I'd say often, uh, sometimes used to configure NSO um, because Ansible has NSO modules that we've contributed on there. And so use Ansible mm-hmm. as basically a run book where you say, okay, my first step, I want to have the WebEx teams or Slack, you know, be notified of a change. Step two, let's call NSO and configure the service or, or make a few changes on the device. And then step three, we'll, you know, update NetBox, IPAM, or whatever you need to do. So Ansible is good at setting up those sequential steps and stitching together all those different um, business applications that really make network automation, I'd say, production grade. And, and then you have NSO just focus on the part that it's good at, which is configuring the actual network devices. So... It seems like NSO is a development platform, as you mentioned. Um, so the the learning curve is a little bit higher for people yeah. who get started. Um, but once you once you learn it, the capability and the ceiling is a lot higher as well, right? So you know the learning curve is there. However, you won't hit that ceiling um, so quickly as in as in some other tools who are very domain driven and they they cannot expand beyond what they yeah. what they know. Yeah, and I'd say one other thing is that it's also been a well-proven platform. Like it's used by the world's largest server, service providers at scales of hundreds of thousands of devices. You know, with multiple mm-hmm. vendors, 
across the globe. And so it's, it's been proven in production to take care of business. But a lot of these stories, I mean, we do have customer success stories, but some of these stories can't be told because the service providers, it's their own, uh, you know, competitive advantage to, to have yeah. NSO set up in the way they have it and, and things like that. Uh, but I, I'd say the ceiling it also is goes in a lot of different directions in terms of the, the ways it can scale out or, or scale down. Um, and, and I'd say the learning curve also, it's, it, I'd say it's also like a value curve because like the learning curve NSO has a CLI that mimics the iOS CLI and you can use that. Oh, to okay. explore. And so you can do question mark, you know, what's the next option that helps me a ton <laughs> tab yeah. complete. And so it has like, and then you can go to configure mode, you know, conf, and then also it has a, what we call J style CLI for people who prefer yeah. to set things. Um, and uh, so like for me, a network engineer that helped lower the learning curve a lot. Cause like when I was working yeah. with, NetMiko or Ansible, like I was having to go, okay, set set my stop and and you know walk through the code and try to figure out where the error was. Um, I mean, NSO still has debugging tools as well, but at least for just getting absolutely started and seeing how the application is structured. Yeah, uh, having the CLI mimic an actual network CLI, I think it was just, just a genius way to set up the application from the start. And then you can do show commands and so you say show running config for router three, and then it will show the running config and you see pipe display JSON and it displays the JSON. So, so I, I think for me that helps lower the learning curve, but I'd say that's not enough value probably for people who are just getting started to buy the entire product to be able to do those minor things. I'd say the, the value of, oh yeah, we definitely need to buy this starts coming in more when people realize, okay, now we can templatize our code and declare our config and abstract these services. And so, so that, yeah, there's this gap I'd say where people say, oh yeah, you can get started real easy, but I'd say it's the value, their perceived value of what they can return on that does require more of an investment in understanding of, of treating your network as code. Yeah, I mean, you 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 can't minimize like again, like like you said, you know, you, you can't minimize the onboarding experience, right? Like that's part of the the comfort level for people who who are, are just getting started. Because I remember talking to big switch folks, and they were like, yeah, in the beginning, right? They were just like, okay, here's your object, and here's your methods, and you write this into a function, capitalize, but. You know, when you talk to a network engineer, they talk about config T, they talk about OSPF <laughs> interface yeah. mode. And um, it wasn't until they started to, you know, start to implement what you said was, yeah. you know, the big switch fabric where you could still do config T, you know, the equivalent in big switch. Yeah. You could do like show run for switch three, router four. Um, that, you know, starts to ease people's mind and allow them to have small wins. At least it does what they do today. But hey, look, you know, after you've done whatever you could do, here's all the other cool things that you could be doing. Yeah. And, and uh, I'd say one one thing that we've done recently and part of my work was to create a bunch of labs to help lower that learning curve. Yeah. Where, where, where when you're building these services, the languages that it uses, like I said, is Python, but also when you're defining the data model to because because NSO itself as an application uses Yang to define the application data model, which I think is confusing for some for myself and other people where we're getting started in that they're like, oh Yang NetConf, Yang NetConf. You know, <laughs> well, they always forget it's like, you don't think of Yang and NSO. You know, it, it's yeah. I think people who haven't used NSO understand how it works. It, it's it's a little bit, I'd say, confusing. But sure. so so Yang is actually a skill that I've developed in using NSO that's been applicable now outside because it's obviously used outside of NSO. And, and so I can, yeah. I can read Yang a lot easier because I've been using a lot in NSO. But the people right. who designed the NSO product were some of the founding members of the NetConf Yang 
you know, yes. IEP initiative. And, and so that, that they basically said, hey, you know, we've created the standard. Let's productize it more or less. And so they made ConfD, which was basically like creating NetConfDang embedded in, in network devices so that they can basically have a reproducible way to expose NetConfDang to people without having to reinvent the wheel. And then after they've done that, then they say, okay, let's add in a way to configure other devices more than just adding it to a single device in the background. And so Yang is definitely one of the core knowledge pieces. And we've been building learning labs on DevNet that we recently released in September. So we have three new courses on Yang. Uh, They're on the Dev Center, which we showed earlier, that you can click and link into. And I'd say these are applicable, especially for people interested in SO, but also for people who are just more generally interested in Yang. There's not a ton of Yang content out there. (laughs) And, you know, learning it for NSO, we do have parts there that we say this is how it works with services and this is how it works with, you know, understanding the application. But I think that's a hidden resource. I, I hope it's not hidden for long that people will take advantage <laughs> of and, and, and learn just like, because me, when I was figuring out Yang, I was trying to read the, you know, the, the IETF R, RFCs and like yeah. YouTube videos from like 2009. And like, so it was, it was, a lot of it was trial and error yeah. and, and relying on other people. But I'm hoping with these resources, it will help up, up level the game of what's available for people just to, in getting started. And then I'd say one other resource that we're finishing up the editing right now and, and should be out in, a, I'd say, like early December is XML XPath uh, Labs. Okay. Because so, like I said, the, the internal database, the CDB, is stored in XML. And yeah. so the way those configuration templates are represented in your service packages when you're doing, even if though the device on the other side might not be speaking XML, the way NSO ingests that information is in an XML format. Um, and so th- these XML XPath courses help you understand what's going on there. You know, if you want to do some advanced ninja stuff with XPath and, and, and create, you know, connections and, and do calculations, you can do stuff like that. But at, at the very least, I mean, NSO, you can do, like I said, pipe display XML. So you don't actually have to handcraft XML yourself from these different devices, but it, at least will give you a working understanding. And I'd say that that's maybe another resource for people who are working with other products that work with a lot of XML and XPath could probably take advantage of. Oh, that's great. Cause I always forget to close my brackets. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, Oh, okay. You know, and I always forget or, the, the different levels and, or, 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 or even like copy and paste. Like you'll, you'll, you'll highlight and go up and then you'll miss that bottom bracket. Not even just, yeah. type, just in the paste. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like disastrous. Once you miss that one, it's like, you receive like hundreds of errors and you're just yeah. like, Oh, I just missed that, that little, little, you know, slash. Um, but Let's roll back a little bit because sure. I mean, yeah. Yang is still, um, I would say, probably a strange word to a lot of folks out there. Um, sure. I mean, myself included. I mean, I've worked with Yang a little bit, but I can't claim myself to work with Yang on a daily basis. So yeah. let's let's go back and say, what is Yang and what is Yang yeah. used for? In uh, you you mentioned how you Yang is used for NSO, but just generalize. You know, what is Yang model and what is it used for generally? Sure. So, so I'd say at the simplest level, Yang, Yang is our, our, our data models. And if you don't, okay. if you're like me and I didn't know what that meant when it was first told to me, I'll, I'll go into a little more detail. <laughs> and, and, and so I, it, they're text files. You can go on GitHub. You can go through NSO and look at the Yang files actually for the application itself. So yeah. they go have an extension .yang. And within those yep. files, they describe what are the constraints of the inputs that you want to work with. Uh, okay. So if you think about like an Ansible playbook, you're like, okay, we, we 
have certain parameter inputs on your modules for an Ansible playbook. So yeah, we want to have strings. We might want to have integers. We might want to have an IP address as an, as an input. And if you have an invalid input, Ansible mm -hmm. will likely not throw an error. It'll probably just pass it along, and then you'll get an error when, on the execution where, where it'll, it'll yeah. say, oh, no, sorry, that's an invalid, invalid IP address. Right. Um, and, and there are ways to include data model validation for Ansible, but this is just a simple example for that. Sure. Uh, and, and so, so Yang, the, these Yang files describe the constraints of the inputs. You see, I, I want to have my module have three inputs, and I want to have the yep. first input be a string, I want to have the mm -hmm. second input be an integer, and I want to have the third input be an IP address. Mm -hmm. And you're not you're not saying anything about what the actual data is, which is I, th I sure. think is the thing that throws people for a loop a lot. It's like, wait, you know, why would I write this down? So it's, it's so that. After you define these inputs, then you can have some other tool compile that model into a binary that can then be consumed by an application that can then validate those inputs for you in the background. Right. And so uh, taking that same example, you, you write a Yang file, you, you define those inputs, you compile the Yang file, and then you store it into an application that uses that those constraints. That way, let's say Ansible Playbook or an NSO instance, you type in an input and you push enter, it should check the Yang model in data model. Say, is this a string? Nope. Right. An integer, or is it a string with the following constraints of you know? Let's say you can create regular expressions. You say it, we're looking for a device name fitting the conformity of how our, our team works. We say you know site code two integers dash you know function dash gw integer, and if it doesn't fit that particular format, then it's going to throw an error. So you can get really specific on the constraints that that you want to have. And that helps codify, I'd say, like your design standards also if, if you're using Yang in that way or just data modeling in general because you can do data modeling in, in Django and other stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it, 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 it provides a useful framework to have these constructs, to have these, I would say tools, but like phrases that you can quickly describe and then reuse later on. So like within Yang, because it was a data modeling language defined explicitly for network engineers, Mm -hmm. There are other data modeling languages out there. Like I said, Django has one, which are Flask, uh, other ones have that where you're defining what are the inputs, what are the constraints. Uh, so sure. the neat part of Yang is that you have you can reuse a lot of these for regular expressions. You can import other people's Yang files to say, let's look at all the, the regex for a MAC address for, or IPv6 or you know, stuff that you would just not want to reinvent the wheel for. Right. Uh, and, and so, so these Yang files are then used with NSO to, to validate the inputs for the, the particular functionalities, or in the case of NetConf Yang if, or ResConf, if, if you've ever, and it might be a good exercise for someone who hasn't done it before, to do an, a NetConf call to a device that doesn't that doesn't have Yang installed on the device. So you can do a NetConf call to, to like a legacy device because I think NetConf is supported since like 14 dot something or 15. It, it's, it's been supported a long time, but NetConf Yang was not supported until 16.3, I think, in iOS. Right. So you right. can, I actually did this when I was just learning how to play with NetConf. Is I, I did, I opened up an SSH session. I did, you know, port, was it 883 something? Yeah, remember. 883, I think, yeah. So, so something like that. So and and, sure. and and you say, and NetConf has its own protocols of defining, hey, I want to say hello, and then give me a response. And so I said, hello, you know, give me your running config. And it gave the entire running config in one XML bracket. Nice. <laughs> cool. no, no structure, no, no structure nothing. Or just like, you know, plain text. There you go. 
plain text that I could have just logged on the device and had show run config and then written, you know, some XML around it and done this. It would have been the same output. Right. And so so the, that's my example of netconf without Yangs. So same call, you're then able to see every single item of the of the configuration split out into separate sub nodes, sub modules. And for those who've worked with JSON or YAML, it's it's basically saying instead of having just you know one big string block, you're then going to have all these sub trees and and, and sub pieces, and and all of those yeah. also have all their inputs defined and constrained by by those Yang models. So that gives all the structure to that. Do you know that your human eye, it looks the same on the device, but programmatically it allows you to configure, change, update, delete in a lot more granular fashion. So you don't have to parse down to the specific piece of the config you want. You can say, no, I want, I, I want interface three's IP address change. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you want to change the world? Former Tesla executive turned podcaster Billy Samoa is on a mission to help you do it. His show, Inside Out, reveals transformational insights that can literally change your life. If you're a changemaker who wants to make an impact while you're on this planet, then this is the podcast for you. Through deep dive interviews with the world's most remarkable people, your mind will be filled with new ideas and perspectives that will give you the secrets you need to make your mark. Go to insightoutshow.com or subscribe to Insight Out on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, so I think you touched on a a point where um, a lot of people mention as their concern about Yang uh, and data models in general, but Yang also for networking is supportability. Um, if if somebody would come out and say all of the Cisco devices eventually will support Yang model, or um, then I think there's there's no doubt, right? Like people are just going to go, it's, this is just the way it's going to be. So we might as well start now. However, you see this uneven support and fair or not, people have compared Yang to SNMP, right? There's like there's this small yeah. set of things that are very compatible with everybody interface, for example. But there's also this whole bunch of other stuff that are enterprise yeah. and uh, specific to vendors. So um, I want to pick your brain a little bit sure, about yeah. that aspect. Uh, so I, I think that's a totally valid concern, and I think people should continue pushing vendors to not make the same mistakes they made at SNMP. So even though I work, <laughs> at, <laughs> so even though I work at a vendor, like that doesn't mean I don't have opinions too. Like I, I totally agree that that's sure. not, I wouldn't say unacceptable. I'd say it's realistic and sad. Yeah, um, yeah. but I, I would also kind of bring up that the value that NetConfiang RestConfiang has added is different and and i'd say more valuable in certain ways than snmp has yeah because snmp people don't really like working with it especially for configuring devices oh for not sure used very often uh unless you're you're somebody who also likes using emacs and, and getting really down in the nitty-gritty detail um and, and so for for uh netconf restconf i'd say on the configuration side it's it's not perfect because yeah, you're really dependent on the vendors to implement the underlying code that, that translates it from the API to the device actually being configured. And that's not perfect. And and I'd say, I think that's realistically just a matter of time where things are going to be incrementally improving. Like I wasn't around when SNMP was, Invented and, and but I, no, I can imagine me neither. <laughs> <laughs> it's low in the tooth, that's for sure. Yeah, but I, I'm 
I wouldn't be surprised if they had similar issues at, at the start. And, and yeah. I, I think the issues that we see are, uh, I'd say, understandable in the sense that like the, the, you have different sets of needs for different customers and you're trying to cr- produce products that appeal to all of those needs at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have certain customers that want to have, I want to have completely vendor neutral configuration. I just, sure. I don't care if it's Cisco, Arista, HP. I, I just want to say, configure my interfaces, configure my routing. It shouldn't be that complicated. So you have some people right. like that, especially people, you know, large scale who like yeah. to build their own stuff. They want to do open config, ITF, like Yang. And so you see nice part of Yang is that you do have these vendor neutral ways of representing basic network configuration. But I'd say yeah. the tough part is then the implementation is hit or miss if that always works. And then also ITF versus open config, you know, has has its own back back and forth. Uh, and so I'd say realistically, a lot of people are going to do a little, little bit of this if they're really interested, but more realistically, they're going to do the vendor-based Yang models. And I'd say the benefit of using those is that then you're able to unlock and use all the features that you're probably paying for in the particular vendor that they have their competitive advantage. Um, yeah. Even some, something as simple as CDP, <laughs> uh, and so CDP, that is proprietary, right? Yeah, right, Cisco <laughs> discovery. Yeah, sure, <clears throat> sure. As opposed to LODP, but it yeah. Is. So, so, um, or switch stacking. I don't know if that. So, so, anyway, so the sure. point being is, is like people, if they're paying a premium dollar for certain features on their devices and they want to be able to use those features, I don't think it's realistic to have those features exposed in a in an open config kind of world. And so, yeah. so you're, you're going to need some type of vendor proprietary model that, that you can interact with programmatically. And, and I, yeah. I think we're still in the initial stages of that. Like I could definitely see it taking another 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, before things are completely seamless, I'm, I'm not saying I know anything on the inside of Cisco, but just kind of my observation of the industry and how quickly it moves and people adopt change and like how it takes for organizations to fix bugs and all, all that kind of stuff. Especially when we're talking about multiple vendors kind of aligning themselves uh, yeah. Like when I started this journey, like in 2014, 2015, doing automation starting 2015, 2016, yeah. like people at that time were even talking about, oh, NetConf Yang is going to re- replace the CLI and all this stuff. And, and it's been five years and things have moved, I'd say, they've they moved the ball forward from the goalpost to like the 20 yard line. But we, we, <laughs> <laughs> we, and, and we have better tools. Like I, I know Cisco came out with some a new Yang tool a couple months ago. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, at Juniper, they have, NRE Labs has done done stuff, and Arista has their own pieces. So, like everybody, I think knows this is the future, and are continuing yeah. to move things forward. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think it's 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 really not going to be, I'd say, widespread adoption until those hardware refreshes catch up with where the marketing promises have been for a long time. Yeah. Because <laughs> at least in my experience, like it takes a while to swap out old hardware, and then oftentimes, unless you have complete uniformity or you just kind of say we're going to just silo off this old stuff and not worry about automation just do everything on, on greenfield i think there's different ways to handle it but i'd say just realistically as an industry it's, it's going to take us a long time to get to a point where this is completely uniform and uh i mean it's an exciting time until then and, and, and i would say there's definitely still advantages to be taken before we get to that point because um, we need to be pushing the vendors to help continue to make better tooling better yeah. visibility better, better troubleshooting uh, but we've definitely, I'd say, come a long ways even in the past five years. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I work for a vendor as well. So I think personally, 
I would definitely agree to the point where um, there's no way you could have complete uniformity. I don't care how much dollar you have, how, how big of a stick or carrots you, you have. It, you, you have to... You have to be able to provide vendors where a piece of area where they could shine and differentiate themselves. Otherwise, they're just gonna not gonna support that tool. And I think for the most part, um, Ansible was success uh, was was successful because it does provide these uh, extensions where the vendors could shine, and that's where the we overlay that with the Yay model. Yes, you want to grow that piece where it's the the common common ground. But you also need to have this other area where the vendor could, sh- you know, showcase their unique yeah. features and differentiate themselves. So it's always a balancing act, I think. And I agree 100 percent with what you yeah. said. Yeah, and, and I, I think other products that are going to take advantage of NetConfiang are going to help speed that along. So NSO is one of them, yeah. uh, but I'm sure there'll be others. And, and, and I, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see what the industry will unfold, unfurl, especially as you have streaming telemetry and other data points that you know provide a lot of additional value, um, but have their own you know baggage with it that you have to like. Okay, now we need a time series database and do all this other stuff. <laughs> but like, I, I, I think you know, it, it, I'm excited to see what the startups, what the vendors, what 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 the open source community thinks up. I mean, even seeing things like Scraply and Nornir. And I'm sure other projects at Merlin, you know, pop up in recent years that when I started, we're just not, weren't even there. You had NetMiko and you had kind of, you had Napalm getting started and then you had Ansible. And, right. and just, just seeing that people see needs in certain areas like, oh yeah, I love this tool, but it doesn't do this thing. And it, it pushes the industry forward in, in, in a new and good direction. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and, um, and in a way, you know, you don't want to, you you can't as a practitioner you can't follow that trend you can't follow um the adaptation of each vendor devices that closely so in the meantime use nso right like upgrade your nso and then all of a sudden 10 more devices and you know 10 more model could appear and you could define your packages your service and and all of that which is a great lead-in for our for my next question which is sure. what are the multi-vendor support um, or supportability for nso um, I mean, obviously they have a leg up for all the Cisco flavor yeah. devices, but what about other vendors? Uh, we we have a slide that basically shows all the major vendors, and I'd say, like I said, if if it's supported in production, people are using it. We we probably have a production net for it, or we have a team that creates a proof of concept within I think a mm-hmm. week or two weeks. Okay. And so, so I, I mean, you have Arista, Juniper, Nokia, you, you know. Big switch. Use your hits. <laughs> the whole laundry list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would caveat that like these these network element, these data models are built to order because you know we're only human, and yeah. basically as customers purchase, like okay, we have these three. We have you know Juniper on the backbone. We have rest in the data center. We have Cisco in the campus branch. And then mm-hmm. okay, what hardware platforms do you have? I mean, right. stuff. Like, those conversations happen initially, and then they say okay, yeah, we we have. Nine out of ten of that already, and we'll we'll do the last one, and and, and build that up. And but like I said, since since NSO has been around for basically a decade, like that initial conversation of do you have it? We need to build it is, is now more of do you have it? Yes, usually. Uh, <laughs> oh, some like esoteric platform, esoteric command, like even within iOS, when we were doing a dot one X rollout within Cisco yeah. IT, yeah. we're like, oh. Uh, they don't have the dot one x commands in NSO. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so we, we went to the NSOBU and you know gave them the commands and, and they kind of them. important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
and, and, and so, so stuff like that, I, I would say that that's, I, as far as I know, NSO might be one of the only, if not the only product within Cisco that has, I'd say the most complete multi-vendor support in, in a meaningful, I'd say in a meaningful way, <laughs> where it's, it's, it's not just like, oh, we have an SDK that you can kind of build your own adapter if you want to. It's like, no, we would, if you're paying for it, we will legitimately support. I mean, they, there's sometimes there's, there's problems that are related to the vendor platform itself, and you have to open a ticket with Nokia or Arista and, and so on. But a lot of times, sure. if it's just syntax and data model issues, uh, the, the NSA team handles that on their own and, and you know opens those support tickets too. I, I like that the in a meaningful way versus just like <laughs> it's an SDK that anybody could download and yeah. uh, open source, and so you're free to spend more time on it. But um, but rather yeah. you're saying no, this is the same level of service. It's on par with whatever we support on Cisco with a Cisco label, and yeah. you know we'll we'll take that from here. It's, yeah, and, and and I even saw a conversation on Twitter recently. Uh, I think talking with Jeremy Schulman and, and some other people, customers of NSO had chimed in, and, and someone asked that specific question. And one of the customers yeah. volunteered saying, "Hey, like we really think that the non-Cisco devices that are connected to NSO have an equal opportunity, equal strength in in being configured as this Cisco non-Cisco." And, and and the best that's marketing you can't really pay for. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you did you frame that tweet and if it has your desktop? No, it's, I, I mean that, that, that's what you're for. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that brought me back to Cisco and taking this prize. Like, like I really believe in what it can do, what it has done. And my people are like, oh, why is it more successful? And I'm like, well, one, because up until very recently we didn't have a lot of learning resources and ways to, to get started. So it was a lot of yeah. high engagement and, and we're but but I'd say too, it's just like it, it's it is complicated enough, and it, it, that people just aren't going to naturally gravitate towards it, and 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 also because the people who are using it the most are people who generally their competitive advantage is how they manage their network, yeah. and so there's not as much fanfare about all the cool things that are happening at the end. So we do, like I said, we do have customer case studies, but I'd say that those are two things that have kind of kept it behind the scenes. Yeah. But we've been doing more and more to try and say, hey, this is not just for service provider. No, we have large enterprise accounts. We have, you know, federal sector, you know, government accounts all over the world. And so it's, it's, it's really something that like for me, when I'm working with NSO and it just makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When I work with other networking tools, like like I guess they all have their own trade-offs, but like being able to programmatically interface with any configuration with a standard API it, it changes the way you think about things. Also, in talking about multi-vendor, where if you're like, okay, since we have NSO modeling the entire configuration, if we wanted to switch vendors, if we wanted to yeah. switch from Arista to Juniper, you have all that stuff modeled out for you, and NSO can translate it. So you can just say, okay, let's, I mean, that, that's not just like a click button feature. It does take some effort to kind of translate it over, but still, it, because NSO is, is able to then translate the appropriate vendor commands for you, it's a lot easier to, to not be so vendor locked in on, on, on particular network device vendors. Yeah, I mean, it makes it possible, right? Like you have a you have a chance to get that done. And before it's like, you have a chance because you're, you're you know, you could write your own code. Versus <laughs> it's like, you have a chance because somebody else could help you do it. Um, and I think it goes, I'm excited about this tool too, because, um, you know, typically in a in a current network, you know, engineering scenario, 
your there's not a lot of thoughts about validation. There's not a lot of thoughts about source of truth. Yeah. It's usually whatever's running in the network, yeah. you know, that that is that is it, right? And that's why it's such a, a mind shift yeah. for people to talk about modeling or what's the use case for that, because you know, all of these are useful when you try to do things before you push into production. Yeah. And so that's why it was a mindset shift. And like you said, when when you have that tool, then you could really talk about CI/CD. You could yeah. really talk about infrastructure as code, as opposed to like you know, every time I talk about infrastructure as code, I have to use Amazon CloudFormation as an example yeah. because <laughs> yeah. that that's the realistically you know yeah. how you launch a virtual network and so yeah. on. But now with NSO, that is an actual like concrete product you could buy and you could point to and say. Now you could treat your infrastructure, multi-vendor infrastructure yep. as code. Yeah, and, and I'd say one of the, the huge time savers for that, and I've done, done different demos that you can see on, on the Dev Center, but basically, and Hank has as well, where since it has that programmatic snapshot of, I think on the first page for the Dev Center, um, might okay. be, but anyway, so, so basically I'd say that the neat part is that since it has that, programmatic snapshot of the configuration, mm-hmm. you can then just export that and convert it to YAML. Okay. Where if I, if I was doing that with just a straight vendor CLI, you wouldn't have uh, something that you'd have to build, build, build your own YAML files. So, right. so if, if you're, if you're working with, uh, you know, Ansible nor near without talking to NSO, you know, you, right. you're usually, you can still do infrastructure as code. Definitely. Like it's very common, very cool. Love all the people who are showing all that stuff, but oftentimes you're, you're handcrafting these YAML files, or they're produced yeah. from a netbox source of truth, and something like that. And and the the structure of that is just defined usually by your own imagination, and its correlation to the Jinja two templates, right? Uh, and, versus, and it's your own, right? Like you can't share yeah. it because it's so specific to your environment. Yeah. And I'm sure you know conforming to the sender will be the last thing on your mind when you're building the customized yeah. solution. Yeah. And and within that, so you can either do infrastructure as code by just define exporting, you know, the different parts of the configuration that you want to change. So you can say, okay, let's export the interfaces as, as YAML. And then if you change a value of that YAML file and then use Ansible to, you know, repush it back up to MSO, it will then mm-hmm. translate into the commands to you know, make that change for you. Uh, and I'd say the other side is, is you can do ser- services through those YAML files as well. So like the, the, those service inputs, like you, you define like the site name and, and, you know, maybe a few other inputs and then it would generate all the config for you. Um, mm. and, and so I'd say that those are the two main ways that you can use NSO's infrastructure as code, either on a device by device level, and then yeah. you're just you're just swapping out the particular values for, for, for the parts of the configuration you want to change, and then um, push that to NSO or, or for the different service instances. So Jason, I'm sorry for my ignorance, but yeah. so if I if I was not, if I don't have an NSO uh, product. Yeah. But I want to take advantage of some, some of these cool things that you've said. Yeah. What are some of the ways to do it? Like, is it is there an open source version upstream for NSO, or what's the story? Uh, so, so you can you can download NSO off DevNet for non-production okay. use. Uh, okay. So, so I, I'd say that that's the main way. So, so it's there's no open source for, for version sure. of NSO. Sure. Um, there's no Fedora to the Red Hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. There's 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 no freeway because they've done a lot of work in terms of these parsing models and, and, and sure. transactional integrity and all that stuff. But I, I would say you don't have to pay to get started. You, you can go on DevNet. We also have, I'd say, production grade 
NEDs on there for all the iOS platforms, ASA, XRXC, Nexus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so if you're just getting started, you know, you can get, set up a lab, play around with it, you know, for as long as you want and say, hey, this, this is this is something that I'm seeing value in, I'm getting excited about, you know, we can we can engage, engage the sales and, yeah. and, and talk, talk about what this looks in the long term. But uh, and we also have, of course, the NSF sandbox, uh, both both an always on and reservable sandbox. So the always on, I'd say more is for like just clicking around, maybe playing with the CLI or doing, using our Postman collection to see how, how the API is structured. And then you, you have the reservable sandbox with which has two instances of NSO. Uh, so you, you have a standalone server that just has NSO installed as a, what they call system install, which is kind of the production grade install. So it's a lockdown server. It's meant to kind of mimic what you do if, if, if you're working with an NSO mm-hmm. in a real life scenario. And then there's also a, a, a development server. So that's just an Ubuntu, I think, box. And then ha- NSO has what's called a local install where yeah. basically it has all of the related packages and the database all in one directory that you can just look easily see and manipulate and, and learn things first the yeah. system install has it you know in var opt and all, all these different places within the linux system um, right. so we have those two different installs you have system and local and then you're, you're able to hopefully play around with the development one if you want to move on to the system install player for all we also have gitlab and netbox installed in that sandbox so if, if you wanted to build different scenarios with those as well oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah. back to that all encapsulated tool Whereas one command versus you know yeah. ten other and it's yeah. undeterministic on you know the, like you said the folders that it gets installed under right yep and, oh, and, and so- I, I, I'd say one last thing is that you can install NSO locally on your laptop uh, so okay. it, it, in terms of an application it it only uses as as much as you're asking it to so if you install on your on your Linux based system so either a Mac or a Linux virtual machine uh, you, you can. It, it, I think it uses less than two gigabytes of memory. You know, it uses a couple hundred megs of, of storage on your on your de- on your machine, and so you can take that DevNet free. You know, trial one, play around with your laptop. You don't have to worry about getting a whole you know local server set up. You can just play around with it from there as well. Nice, nice. Hey, I have more than more than two gig on my Raspberry Pi, so that should be like a little project, right? Uh, Running NSO on my Raspberry Pi. I don't think it's compiled for ARM, but I, I did oh, try okay. putting on. A, I, I did try putting on a, on, on a Raspberry Pi. Before. Oh, you did? Yeah, no, nice. I, I tried putting ConfD, which is like an even smaller version oh, okay. of NSO on there, but yeah, it, yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll one day, um, you know, that that happened, but uh, yeah. well, that'll be the day. Um. Yeah. So, Jason, how, in your opinion, how can people get started with network automation? We talked about NSO. So that's one way to get started, right? Like you get the tool and you actually solve your own yeah. problem. But without NSO, how can people, you know, in your opinion, get started with network automation? I think from in my experience, the important thing is having a tangible use case you're working towards. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I worked with a lot of people who aspirationally wanted to work in network automation, but sure. real, realistically it never happened year after year. <laughs> uh, and so like, I'd say if you really want to get into it, like if you're in a company that you're in a networking role, that's perfect. You, you can find something in your day job that's small enough that you could, you could automate on a small enough scale. So like my first example right. was, was using NetMeco to run show clock to a, a lab device. And, oh, I, worked nice. <laughs> and nice. I worked, I worked, I worked my way up to eventually we, we created an iOS upgrade application. Um, using, oh, nice. Um, using NSO. And, and, and so I, I'd say 
have something tangible, even if it's very small, that is related to what you're working with and something bigger that you're working towards that's really going to help you and your team. Yeah. While still being realistic of like the dependencies of like, okay, how much process is involved, you know, how security and so trying to pick something that's like doesn't have that many things dependent on it yeah. <laughs> or is, is not going to break, especially read only. So, so I'd say that that's the first thing is, is having something that you're working towards that's tangible and small. And, and then I'd say start talking to other people about what you're doing. So, so that, that's one thing that helped me a lot is yeah. coworkers are sit, sitting next to me in the office at the time. I, I, would, I would share with them what I was learning, even if it was just really simple stuff and, you know, got them excited about it too. And some of them started doing that network automation as well. So I, I'd say, of course you have resources out there in the books we talked about. You, you have, you know, tons of stuff on DevNet as well as on other vendor websites and Pluralsight. And there's resources all over the place, but I'd say prioritize stuff that is interesting to you. And then over time, you'll continue to find more and more stuff and your interests will help shape, you know, the direction that you want to go. Because there's a lot of people out there who recommend different things. And, and yeah. I'd say if those things excite you, go for it. But I'd say initially, you just need to get some momentum. You need, you need to get some reps in, you know, just like any other skill. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, 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 have, you have to get your practice in. You, it, it, it takes a lot of time. Like, there are a lot of nights and weekends in those first couple of years where I, I was staring at PDFs of documentation and just being like, I don't know why this error is not working. Like, And there were some errors that, like, now I could solve like that. And they, they took yeah. me, let's say, two or three weeks, you know, which is awkward when you're, when you're, your job. I mean, I wasn't spending nine to five every day, you know, just staring at a screen, wondering why I can't do work. Right. Uh, but like, it's 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 hard. I think first getting started, especially if you're in a in a role and you're you're dedicating some amount of your your time to it. It you have to have a man, management and leadership team that you can be open with and say, hey, I actually didn't produce anything this week, but I'm making progress. <laughs> Even if I'm making progress, like, I'm, hey, look, like, I solved this error. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like, I, I, I've spent, what, what is it, Edison, you know, how, how many ways to find out how a light bulb doesn't work to, to find right. out. And stuff like that where I think it can be really disheartening. And I'd say just, you, you need to power through it and not, not and, and also do it through community um, and, 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 you know, sharing your struggles. And there, there's some struggles that, you don't need to spend a whole lot of time wasting your time on. Like you, you should just ask someone for help, but there are other yeah. times w- where you don't have someone to ask for help. And so I, I would say definitely now with the advent of network automation being more broadly applicable, like get yourself plugged into different communities and, and, yeah. and be vulnerable. Don't be afraid of not people thinking you don't know what you're doing. Cause it's true. like perception over time will catch up to, to what, what, what you actually want to be. Um, and I think yeah. most, most people generally don't judge you if you're like, oh, I'm stuck on this indentation YAML error. I can't figure it out. And, and someone points it out and like, oh, now, now I figured it out. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's one of the things that people don't realize is even experienced developers, they get tripped up all the time. <laughs> and that's why I love listening to podcasts of other people. Um, like Django Chat, for example, yeah. just the other day. This is the core developer, like core core maintainer for Django and Django REST framework. And uh, he's talking about, you know, he gets tripped up every day, learn new yeah. stuff. The difference is he, he he's better at searching for answers on Google yeah. and, and Stack Overflow. So it's definitely, you know, something that we as network engineers should get used to is just, you know, be vulnerable. It's, there's no, no need to, uh, everybody's on the same boat. So nobody's going to judge you for that. So I, I thank you for that message. It's yeah. very applicable and it rings true to me 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jason, I mean, 
you know, we've, we've been at it for over an hour. I, I love the conversation. Um, but I mean, we have to, we have to say goodbye at some point. Um, so before we say goodbye, what are your favorite network automation books? Well, we have first off mastering Python networking by Mr. yes, the, the classic cover. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, I'd say, also, the DevOps Handbook. I know you've been talking about the Phoenix Project, but yes, and, yes. and that's a good audible book. But I'd say if you want a physical book to like thumb through, uh, like they have great diagrams and they kind of distill down the principles of the Phoenix Project into yeah. chapters that are a little more organized. Uh, but I'd right. say that I'd say the the overall impact of the Phoenix Project as a narrative still is very powerful. But as a reference book, this is more useful. Yeah, uh, but read the read the. Um, read the, the Phoenix Project as well because that's a, a yeah. pretty good preset to to the handbook. Oh yeah, no, you read that first, and then I have this as a reference to refresh my memory, so I don't have to read yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> you don't uh, have to think about how how that guy's the the linchpin of everything. But anyways, go ahead. And, and then the, the last one is network automation program programmability oh, automation. Perfect, Mr. Edelman, Oswald, and the yes, <sighs> that that's a great book too. Um, yeah. I uh, I was fortunate enough to to be the tech reviewer for the first fifty percent, and and they never call back, so I don't know what's going on. But <laughs> apparently, I offended somebody. Oh, right. but, um, that's that's definitely a great book. That's a, a book that I keep on my my desk for reference yeah. as well. So thank you for all the recommendations. But yeah, the the Phoenix Project that's that's a very enjoyable read, and it's it's almost like you read that book and you just you just want to say I am that guy, and then yeah. I am that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's so evocative yeah in the, in the emotional response because well, i think for anybody who's been in operations or been around people in operations you're just like this yeah there's 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 that person who is always jumping into the fire and saving yeah. the day and it's it's a it's a good thing for that person and for the team but then you're like day after day year after year let's take a step back and try to improve the mental and physical health of that person who's having to take the brunt of all all, all, all of our issues yeah, uh, if I remember, it was Brad, but I could be wrong. Yeah. But so, so don't be Brad if that's. No, Brad. <laughs> I mean, great, great for Brad, but uh, you know he's uh, uh, he has to take a vacation at some point, and the company yeah. needs to run without him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, Jason, thanks again. I've enjoyed our our conversation. Thank you for taking the time. I think it's going to be very useful for people, especially your advices. It's going to be you know useful for people who's who are new to NSO but also for people who just want to get started on network automation there's sure. some good good gems in there so thank you for taking the time thanks eric thank you for listening to a network automation nerds podcast today find us on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify and all the other major podcast platforms until next time bye bye